Joey mentioned it, Chris and Donna are in Mission Viejo, California, and they're at, they actually call it the marriage advance, because they say they're not retreating, they're advancing. Uh, and they shared there a couple times yesterday, and Chris said that uh, God has really helped them to feel better and also to say what they believe he had them to say. So that's really great, and he is speaking again this morning. Uh, so we missed them, and you get me. Woo! I'm just going to try to see if I can get us to communion. <laughs> All right. So today, I'm going to talk about the ministry of reconciliation. And this is what God told me to share about. So... I'm obeying and I'm praying that he will do his part and speak to everyone here. All right, we are all called to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. So um, you could say it's the crux of the Bible. There's a lot of stories about reconciliation in there, uh, namely us being reconciled to our Heavenly Father. And so if you could think, how about this? I told Joey do something interactive this morning. What is a story in the Bible that is about reconciliation? You could shout it out. Joseph. Prodigal son. Yeah. Ruth and Boaz. Good one. Jacob. Yeah. Jacob and Esau. He went back scared. <laughs> yeah, you remember that? Joseph and his brothers. That one's wild. You guys have started your Bible reading plan for this year and covered all of Genesis, haven't you? <laughs> I hear it. All right. That's enough, I guess. You don't have any more. I have several passages I'm going to read from today. I'm going to hit a lot of verses because the Bible really does talk a lot about this. So I'm going to hit a lot of things, but three main passages. And the first one... It's from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. So if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 on your device or in your Bible. It's going to be up here. You don't have to do either of those. Um, here we go. This is starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And that's talking about Jesus. All right, so that's good. I like that passage. Uh, I get excited when we read about who Jesus is and what he did for us. There's something in me, an alarm that goes off like, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's the word of God. Um, Let's talk about reconciliation. So what is to reconcile mean? I think it's used as an accounting term a lot. Anybody know that? Reconcile your books, get your numbers in order. Business guys, you know, is that, is that right? Yeah. That's what I've heard. Um, the Greek, Katie was like, are you seriously going to, is that Hebrew again? I was like, no, it's Greek. The Greek is katalasso. <laughs> so kata means down to an exact point, and alasso to properly, decisively change, as when two parties reconcile when coming to the same position. So two things that were opposed coming to the same position. I find that really interesting, kind of describes how we are with God because our sin has separated us from him. So something had to happen for us to be reconciled or be changed into the same point or position with him. Isaiah 59 puts it this way. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And we're not talking about his love. We know he loves us. Uh, He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. What we're talking about that is that he was opposed to us because of our sin, because he's a holy God. And when we chose to go away from him, to step away, there became a chasm there. There's a difference. There's something that's not reconciled. It's not together. It's not in the same position. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, though. Yeah. Glory. Um, Ephesians 2, 13 through 16, and describes what happened to us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He has made us both one, that's us and Jesus, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, that's us and Jesus, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what Jesus did is he brought us back to the Father through reconciliation. So where were we? We were opposed with God because of our choices and that we said no to him, walked away. Then Jesus comes along and can reconcile us and bring us back to the same position. So we're now one with Jesus, and that's how God sees us. That rhymes. Um, so what, ha- what happened? By grace through faith, we hear the gospel. We believe. We repent. So that's we turn away from 
how we were wandering off and we're turned back to him. And then we confess with our mouth that he's Lord. And that's the salvation experience. Uh, Jim Newsom talked about this a couple weeks ago, how God forgave his sins and completely forgot them. He said, as far as the east is from the west, I've moved your, removed your transgressions. So, so far, God was like, oh, you're, you murdered someone? Oh, I didn't know that. He, he forgets. It's wiped clean. Now, with the sin out of the way, his face isn't hidden anymore, and his ears can hear us. So now we can come boldly before his throne, and we can be in his presence again. All right, so I'm talking about these different types of reconciliation, and there are a few I'm going to mention today. One I've already been talking about. That is Jesus reconciling us to God. Excuse me. All right, so that's what we were just mentioning. And this has to be the foundation of any sort of reconciliation. There cannot be any reconciliation outside of what Jesus does. This is it. If anyone, if anyone is in Christ, we just read this, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And again in Colossians, we're going to jump around a little bit. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. It's talking about Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus said to them, and this is John 4, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the only way. And so we confess our sins. We confess that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart what God's done for us in making a way. And this is, this is really it. At that point, we're reconciled with him. We have to walk it out, and we have to choose to continue to believe it that he's made this way for us, and we get to walk in it. But he did the work, and it's not something that we have to prove or make happen, right? He, he did it. So again, Paul says, this is in Romans 5, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only, this, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I like that part about boasting in God um, because we don't earn it. And a lot of times the way we're raised in our culture, there's a sense of having to do things to earn things. And it's based on our performance and we're all about excelling and uh, achievement. But we can't achieve this. this. This is out of our hands. We get to respond to what he's already done in forgiving our sins and reconciling us. But it's not based on us. It's not based on us. He can't love us more. We can't earn more salvation. This is it. <laughs> and what he's provided is already enough. So it turns out reconciliation is kind of like some other things. Uh, we were talking in the back this morning. 
we're having communion later on, and Curtis was saying, you know, you can't receive, well, you can't give what you haven't received. So we freely receive what the Father's given us in his body and his blood, and then we freely give that. He said it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So it's kind of like love. We can't, we can't really love people well unless we've received his love for us. We can't forgive others or even understand what forgiveness is if we haven't been forgiven by him. And reconciliation is like that um, because first we have to be reconciled to our Father through Jesus. And so the next one I want to talk about is Jesus reconciles us to others. So he reconciles us to the Father and then to others. I'm going to read a few scriptures that give some insight into how we rightly relate together. You'll be familiar with a lot of these probably. But we'll start Matthew 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then this is from Luke 6, also in Matthew. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It's funny, he gives us two don'ts and then a do. So what are the two don'ts? Don't judge each other. Don't condemn each other. He's got the judgment covered. It turns out he knows what he's doing. And he's, he's the only one who can. And then don't condemn. We actually, I don't know why we think we could condemn either. But there is, then he gives us one thing that we should do, which is forgive. And then how about in the model prayer, Matthew 6, forgive us our debts or trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And then in 1 Peter, Peter says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I love that phrase. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that's his father. And with this, this type of reconciliation, letting Jesus reconcile us to others, we're getting a chance to do what Jesus did. Because he didn't fight for himself he didn't justify himself. He didn't turn back and call names and say, no, I'm actually right in this. He wasn't fighting a battle in the flesh. But he said, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I know this is a tough one because a lot of times when we need to be reconciled to others, 
it's with people who might be close to us. It could be family members. It could be people who were close friends. And it could be people at work who we're not close to, who we just have a hard time with, our neighbors. But Jesus' response is much different than what we, how we usually respond or how I would typically start to respond. But what Jesus did was he emptied himself, he humbled himself, he didn't defend himself, justify himself. He wasn't trusting in his disciples Certainly wasn't trusting in those who were reviling him. But he was trusting in the one who judges justly. That's his heavenly father. And there's that sense that he was abiding in the father. That was the same example Jesus gives us to abide in him as he abides in the father. He and the father are one. We're called to be one with Jesus. But if we abide in him, then we can follow him into things like reconciliation and not be worried about getting hurt. And not be worried about looking bad or not getting perceived the right way. How misperceived was Jesus? And then we think everybody should know how we feel and why we feel it and look good and all this stuff. That's not what he did. But he is the example. Uh, The good news is, while we shouldn't look for consolation in the people we're trying to be reconciled with or reward or whatever it is. He did send us a helper that we find consolation in, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's God with us. So when he sends us into these kinds of things, being reconciled, forgiveness, these big, big things, he's with us in it. His spirit, well, he can be with us in it. We can be filled with his Holy Spirit. He can be in the moment. He can be in the pain, in the these tough situations where it feels like we need his help. He will help us. All right. So that was a big one. We're reconciled to God through Jesus. We're reconciled to others through Jesus. And then I feel like it gets really fun because then we can be part of God reconciling others to himself and God reconciling others to others. Uh, There's a few examples I want to talk about. Well, first off, we don't all have the same giftings. Uh, We're pretty different, and that's great because there's diversity in the body. Like, we're not all going to get up here and sing as well as I do or dance as well as I do. But we all have our gifts. But one thing we also have in common is that we're all given this ministry of reconciliation. So this is something that we're all called to, called to be a part of, and then we get to participate in. There was something in uh, Grace's word this morning about are you going to obey and do what I've already said. And I'm just struck by, we're so blessed that he speaks to us, and then we get to choose to obey. But when we choose to obey, he helps us in our obedience, and he's with us while we're doing what he's asked us to do. 
And if we're not doing what he's asked us to do, he's not going to be with us in it. And it's not, it's not fun. All right, so this one is going to be fun. One of the Beatitudes says, do you know what the Beatitudes are? Or Matthew 5, he's talking to his disciples on the side of the mountain. They've come to him and he starts teaching. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the meaning there of sons of God means those who have the nature of God, um, those resembling his character. And God is a reconciler. And so in that beatitude, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we are making peace with him, but what he's talking about here is people who are making peace between other people. And so we get to do that. And how great that they'll be called the sons of God. That's us. And back to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he entrusts us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we get to participate in his ministry and other people, what's happening with them. And if we're reconciled to God and our hearts are right towards others, then we get to be his ambassadors and see him reconcile others to himself through Jesus. This is good news. The last example... I'm going to read most of a whole book of the Bible, but don't worry, it's Philemon. It's only one chapter. It's pretty short. Um, I want to read this one because it illustrates a very specific way that God used Paul to help reconcile two people. All right, this letter was written by Paul. He was in Roman prison awaiting trial with Caesar. And uh, it appears he had pretty good living conditions. You could send letters and receive letters, and people could visit him. And so it didn't seem like he was in solitary confinement or anything like that. Um, But he was in prison. Scholars placed the letter around 61 to 63 AD. Uh, There are a few main characters. Philemon is one. He was a man of wealth. He was converted by Paul. He was also mentioned in the letter to the Colossians. He was part of that church at Colossae. Is that how you say that, Curtis? Colossae. Um, Another main character is Onesimus. Onesimus is a bondservant, a slave. Uh, of Philemon's. Now, at some point, it's not written directly in there, but you can use context clues that Onesimus runs away and he goes to Rome, which is where Paul's in prison. And so I'm just going to start at the beginning of the letter here. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, I don't, it doesn't really say who they are. I, I did some reading, Curtis, and some people think Aphia might be his wife. What do you think? 
Curtis thinks so too. So Afia is his wife. And Archippus, is that his son? He doesn't know that one. That's someone else though. That's their fellow soldier. We know that. Um, and the church in your house. So the church or part of the church there was meeting in Philemon's house. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, if I was Philemon reading that, I'd be like, from the first one reading, I'm like, let's show everybody else. <laughs> this is really good. <laughs> Look what Paul's saying about me. <laughs> Feeling pretty good about himself. And then Paul says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Wow. So then Paul really turns there and he says, I can command you something but I'm not going to, for love's sake, I'm just going to appeal to you. And he brings up Onesimus, who's a runaway slave. And he says, he calls him my child, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, which would lead us to believe that Onesimus met Jesus through Paul, just like Philemon did years before. So then he says, and this is in parentheses, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And that useless could be a wordplay because Onesimus' name comes from Onesis, is that right? Which means useful or profitable, useful. So before he's saying, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. He calls him his heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So, whoa. Not only did Paul meet Onesimus and then introduce him to Jesus and now calling him his spiritual son, but now he's sending him back. So what, I don't know what Philemon would be thinking about, but this is like, this is just wild. And, and then in Colossians, if you read, Onesimus comes with, is it Tychicus? Tychicus? Sorry. I don't know, I'm making the right sounds here. But Philemon comes with him, or not Philemon, Onesimus comes with him. And so then, like, are those two letters delivered at the same time, Curtis? I don't know. But Onesimus is with him, being sent back to where he was a slave. 
There's a lot going on. All right. So I'm sending him back to you. For perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while. That's an interesting way of saying that because Onesimus ran away. (laughs) And it's thought that, you know, if you run away, you need provision for the journey. And he ran away all the way to Rome. So there's a good chance he had to take some things with him that belonged to Philemon. But Paul says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. And then what is Philemon thinking there? No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? This this makes me think of what Paul wrote in Colossians, that there's no longer Greek, there's no longer Jew, there's no longer circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no longer slave. Like things are changing. What does he say at the end? He says, but Jesus is all and in all. So like you have these labels for people, you identify in this way, but Christ takes preeminence. Christ is all and in all. So you can, you can call yourself something, But if your identity isn't first found in Christ, it doesn't really matter. So if you consider me your partner, as Paul continues, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And we can assume he owes him something, so the value of him what Philemon would have paid for him, and then what could have been taken. Paul says, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So that's reconciliation. Paul's actively participating in the reconciliation of a couple of people. And what does it sound like? It sounds very familiar to what Jesus does for us, where he says, oh, their sin, your sin, charge that to my account. And he took those sins and he died on the cross to reconcile us. So Paul is illustrating what Jesus did for us And for them, Uh, he goes on to say, Paul, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say, (laughs) and he throws this in, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. (laughs) Uh, Paul's so funny. He's like, I don't don't want to brag, but I went through this and this and no. I really like Paul. I appreciate it. I appreciate how he throws in things like that. And then he's like, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. (laughs) Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And then he tells him he's coming to visit, and he gives some final greetings and stuff. But there's something I really like about this account 
because Paul is participating in this reconciliation of one follower of Jesus to another follower of Jesus. And there's, there's so much grounds for that. He's not attacking him. I mean, he's saying, he's using some psychological warfare, it sounds like, but he's not really attacking him. We can be so independent and unwilling to change or hear someone else's point of view, feel like we're being attacked. But to me, this is a sign of health. Uh, the reason iron sharpens iron. And this is why this part sounds so fun to me, is because it's us, the body of Christ, participating in this reconciliation, first here and then outside of here. If we don't, if we don't get right in here, we can't get anything right out there. If there's no integrity in our hearts and what he said to us and us being reconciled to him and to each other, it says that people will know that we're Christians by our love. We can't love if we're not reconciled. It doesn't work. So I like this because it challenges us to be open to being reconciled in different ways, to being challenged in different ways that maybe we're not used to. This ministry that we're called to, it's, uh, it's more important than our jobs, than our different roles that we play in our families. It's more important than our education, our culture, our citizenship, our race. If we're his people and we're committed to walking together, we have to be willing to minister his reconciliation to a spiritual family and beyond. Sometimes it'll make us the target of people. It'll certainly make us the target of the enemy. That's how we know we're onto something. But imagine saying Jesus is our example and then doing whatever we want with our lives. Talking to myself, guys. And you. Um, the beatitude that follows the one we read earlier, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God, is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I've heard people talk about the beatitudes like in couplet forms, how they kind of two go together, but those two really do go together. Because if we're called to be peacemakers, you can't make peace in a situation that's already peaceful, but in a situation that there's some kind of warfare, there's intensity, there's conflict. And when we step out into that in order to be Christ's ambassadors of reconciliation, then we'll probably get some persecution. It's what's coming. But he says... Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, all right. So we have to forget about self-preservation and entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. And that's our Father. 
So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get ready to receive communion. God, thank you. Thank you that you reconciled us. Thank you for Jesus, who said that you could look at our sins and charge them to his account. That through his body, we could find salvation. We could come home to you. And thank you that you help us to be reconciled to others. You've given us the chance to follow you into right relationship. It starts with you, but it doesn't end there. It keeps going. And thank you that you allow us to participate in your ministry of reconciliation. Where we can be peacemakers where we go. Where we can be your ambassadors that you would actually trust us to play a part in reconciliation. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would help us to hear you speaking about this. That wherever we are, if we haven't yet been reconciled to you, we would respond to what you're saying there. And if there are others who we need to be reconciled to, that you would help us. You would help us hear what you're saying and respond in faith, believing that your Holy Spirit's with us and you can help us. And I pray that you would teach us how to be peacemakers, that where we go, we would be your ambassadors. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so we could be with you and we can actually participate in these things. And Lord, as we get ready to receive communion, pray that you would correct anything in our hearts that's not right, that we would give you room to speak, we would give you room to shift things, If Christ is really our example, then you get all the room you want. And we don't get to hold things back. So help us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.